0: Good morning. Please turn back to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we'll be this morning. We ask for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of His Word. This is a time of the year in which uh, we make lists. And uh, we check them twice. Well, I have a list this morning. Not a list of things that I would like to have, or that we as a congregation might like to have, but a list of things we've already received, a list of things that have already blessed our lives, and it begins this way. Last Sunday morning, some of our brothers and sisters taught Bible classes, Bible classes for our children and for our adults. Last Sunday morning, Men of the congregation led us in worship, led us to the throne of God, in readings, and song, and prayers, in the Lord's Supper, in giving, <clears throat> and in the Word. As we worship, children were cared for in the nursery and in children's worship. And a good number of volunteers stayed afterwards to, to receive some instruction for children's worship. We taught each other and we encouraged each other in song. We had fellowship with one another at the Lord's table. Sunday night we worshipped again and we again joined our hearts in prayer and, and song and we listened to the word and we shared in the Lord's Supper. Both Sunday morning and Sunday evening there were those that provided rides to someone who needed a ride. And we encouraged each other. We encouraged each other in fellowship before the service and then afterwards. During this last week, there were cards of encouragement sent, birthday cards, sympathy cards, personal messages of love and concern. There were some telephone calls made to check on people to see if they were all right or maybe to offer to provide a ride or to be of some kind of service. Prayers were offered more than once this week for the sick and for the lost, for loved ones and friends in need. More Bible classes were taught, more fellowship was enjoyed on Wednesday night. On Tuesday night, there was a Bible study on the yard for our mids, Bible study, songs, prayers, and food. Plans and prayers went ahead for last night's visits and caroling and today's widow luncheon. I don't know why I've worried the last 48 hours about the storm in the widow's luncheon. I should have known that there is no storm on the face of the earth that would face Susan Brown and uh, and Monique uh, on the day they plan this dinner. But they've been working hard to get ready for us. So it's been a busy week. There are a lot of many lot of many good things that have gone on, and I'm sure my list of things that have happened in our life together is incomplete. And I'm also sure that only God knows all of the service and all of the help and all of the prayers that we have offered for each other to help each other, to encourage each other. And I'm sure only God knows all the occasions that we've had to be together to assist each other, to encourage each other, to have fellowship with each other. The Apostle Paul urged the Galatians and he urges us not to become weary in doing good. He urged them us to do good for all people but especially for the family of believers. What a great and gracious gift, what a great and gracious blessing it is to be part of a congregation that takes such things seriously and loves not just in word but in deed. Now as Christians... We don't live this Christian life of service and fellowship just because we happen to be good people or we just like each other. We live this life and we do these things because Jesus did these things. Because this was his way of life and because he calls us to such a life as a congregation. When we give ourselves in sharing the gospel or in sharing our resources or our time or our attitudes or our service, we are walking where Jesus walked. We're doing things that Jesus did and we're doing things that please him. There is a short passage in Matthew chapter 9 that encourages us in these things and makes these things central to our life together. It's found in chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, and I'd like to read it, and this is where we'll study this morning. Matthew nine thirty-five to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In verse 35, Jesus says that the model for the Christian life is his life. The model for the Christian life is the life of Jesus. His public ministry is well underway at this point, and the focus of his ministry is the region of Galilee. And beginning his ministry there, Jesus was fulfilling the words of Isaiah, words that Isaiah had spoke hundreds of years before. And as Jesus preached and taught and cared for people, people who lived in great darkness were seeing a great light. Matthew 4, verse 12 through 17. And as he carried out his ministry, people were drawn to him. And they came great distances and they came from every direction to to hear him and to see him and to be with him. And to receive his healing and his care. At one point he goes up on a mountain and sitting down, he calls his disciples to him and he begins to teach them. Teaches them about God. And about God's rule. And the kind of life a person has when God rules that life. And as the people hear Jesus give this teaching, they begin to realize they'd never heard anything like this before. They had never heard anyone speak with a kind of authority that Jesus spoke to them on the mountain. After his sermon Matthew tells us that large crowds of people followed him everywhere. A leper came to him one day and asked him to make him clean. And with compassion, the gospel tells us, Jesus reached out and touched him. He touched the untouchable. And he cleansed him. And he gave him his life back. A centurion approaches Jesus. He has a servant that he loves and he, he wants Jesus to heal. And when Jesus agrees to do it, he tells the centurion, the centurion tells him, you don't need to bother to come to my house. Just give the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus is amazed at such faith. He hadn't found that among the Israelites. But here is a Gentile centurion that believes. And Jesus gives the word, and the man is is healed. Peter has a mother-in-law, and the mother-in-law is ill, and Jesus heals her. A great many people in Capernaum come to the house of Peter where Jesus is staying when Sabbath is over. They fill the streets, and there's every kind of disease and demon possession And even though he has ministered all day long, Jesus goes out and he heals people. He relieves their handicaps. He casts out their demons. Two demon-possessed men live in a cemetery, and Jesus sets them free. A man who is paralyzed is given the ability to walk. One lost man becomes a disciple and other lost people sit down and share a meal with Jesus. A woman who has suffered for 12 years with an illness is made whole and a daughter is raised from the dead. Two blind men and a deaf man receive God's mercy and are given their sight and their hearing. And those are just a few examples of the work that Jesus was doing in his ministry among the people of Galilee. Matthew tells us that Jesus went all through the towns and the villages of Galilee doing these things. There is some census evidence about Galilee in Jesus' day, and it tells us that there were more than 200 villages and towns in Galilee that had a population of over 15,000. Which means there were 3 million people in Galilee when Jesus walked those roads and walked those hills. For weeks and months, he traveled throughout the Galilee. And as he went, he went to their synagogues. And he taught in their synagogues. He taught the Word of God. I would imagine that those people never had a Bible class like the one they had when Jesus visited. We have some wonderful Sunday school teachers here, but wouldn't it be a thrill to sit in a Bible class at Jesus' feet? And listen to him open his word to us. As he taught God's word, he also preached the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A new day is dawning. God is keeping his word. He's bringing salvation to his people. And Jesus' job was to invite people into a new relationship with God. And what he had to tell them was the best news that human ears ever received. And of course, with his teaching, he gave mercy. We hear in Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus healed people's diseases and their handicaps. He set them free from demons. And no disease and no handicap and no demon could resist him. None proved impossible for Jesus. And so on every hand throughout Galilee, salvation is coming from God through his son, Jesus. People were drawn to him. They wanted what he was offering. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to receive the gifts that he had for them. What they had to offer. And this is Matthew's way of summarizing the first nine chapters of his gospel. This is a summary of Jesus' activities. But more importantly than that, Matthew is also holding Jesus up as an example. He's telling us about Jesus' life and his ministry as an example to Christians and to the church for how we are to conduct ourselves. We too can teach people the word of God. We too can tell the good news. And while we can't heal every disease or illness as Jesus did, we can give a cup of water in Jesus' name. We can hold a hand. We can say prayers. We can cook a meal, we can visit and encourage, we can help those who are sick, we can remind people that God loves them, we can teach the gospel, we can imitate Jesus in our individual lives and in our life together as a congregation. But what is the motive for such a life? As we go on to verse 36, the motivation for the Christian life is the motivation of Jesus. As you read through the Gospels, one of the things that becomes clear about the life of Jesus is that he seldom had time alone. People were always coming to him, and not coming just in ones or twos, but in great crowds. I know most of us have times or have days when we feel like we just can't get away from the telephone. Every time we turn around, it's another salesman or it's a robocall or other calls. Well, at least those callers aren't standing right in front of us. But that was what was happening to Jesus. When he woke up, they were there. When he tried to eat with the disciples, they were there. When he taught, when he walked, when it came to the end of the day and it was time to sleep, people were there. People were coming to him. Looking for his help. Making demands on him. He wasn't hidden from people. Jesus saw people. He could see their faces. He could smell them. He could touch them. He could hear them. And being the Son of God, He knew what was in their hearts for good or for evil. And what did Jesus think of that? What did Jesus think of those people who surrounded Him so constantly? Matthew says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on him. If you want to do a great concordance study, look up the word compassion and read all the examples of it and look at who it applies to and then notice who it doesn't apply to. But Matthew is saying that Jesus was moved in the depths of his being For the condition of the people who were coming to him. His heart broke because of their pain, because of the needs in their life. His heart went out to them. He was touched deeply by their circumstances. He knew that those people never had a moment's peace, that they knew no comfort, that they had no rest. He knew what life in Galilee was like. You know, we put up our lovely little flannel—can't say it, can I? Flannel grafts, and all the clothes are perfect and ironed and pressed and clean, aren't they? And that's great for our little children, but that's a long way from what life was like in the first century Galilee. Life was hard. It was dirty, and having a meal wasn't a guarantee. And not only that, but the people that lived there lived under the tyranny of the Romans and sadly under the tyranny of their own religious leaders. And Matthew's way or Jesus' way of describing them is that they are sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep who had been run ragged by some predator and even in safety can only lie down on the ground dazed and afraid. That's what those people were like. Jesus had seen these people before, at least people like them, because the Old Testament talks several times about God's people being sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without leaders. Or with leaders who preyed on them and devoured them and destroyed them instead of caring for them. And so when Jesus saw people, the people of God, in these conditions... He had compassion on them. He saw them as they truly were. And he saw that their lives were a mess in every possible way. And it broke his heart. It broke his heart because he loved those people. He cared about those people. He cared about their eternities. He saw these businessmen and housewives and synagogue leaders and slave merchants and teachers and farmers and weavers and potters and shepherds and carpenters and soldiers. Jesus saw people like me and people like you. And he was moved with compassion because he knew that they were lost. He knew that they weren't right with God. Jesus wasn't angry. Jesus wasn't indignant. But he also was not resigned to the human condition. He wasn't satisfied that this situation would continue. He hurt deep inside, but he didn't just have some kind of an emotional response. He acted on those feelings, on that hurt that he had in his heart for those people. And we've already talked about all the things that he did for people. He he taught in their synagogues. He told them the good news of the kingdom. He healed their diseases and and sicknesses. And he had compassion because their lives were just harassed. And they were helpless. They were sheep without a shepherd. That's the life and ministry of Jesus in Galilee. This is the motivation behind all the things that he did. And this work and this motivation of, of compassion... Is not only what was in the heart of Jesus, but Matthew, again, is holding it up and saying to us, you do the same. You have the same heart, the same compassion. Follow Jesus. Be like Jesus. Where you can bring an end to suffering, where you can bring hope, be like Jesus. in his footsteps. See people as He does and have a heart for people as He does. We do the benevolent work we do, not just because we're kindly people or good citizens, but we do it because Jesus did it. We don't share the gospel because that's what church people are supposed to do, but because Jesus shared it and He calls us to. We do all of these things because they please Jesus and they help others. Whatever help we give, we're doing it to Jesus and for Jesus. He still has compassion on people. And people today are just as much harassed and helpless and without a shepherd. They still need a Savior. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Or at least these needs have not ended in 2,000 years. And if we have the heart of Jesus, we too will be compassionate. And if we follow in his footsteps and act on that compassion, we will truly be the church of Christ. The challenge of the Christian life is the challenge of of Jesus. Look at verse 37 and 38. Did you see the stories a few months ago, a few weeks ago actually, on the anniversary of Hurricane Sandy? A lot has been accomplished in New Jersey and New York. A lot has been rebuilt. But what those reports showed is that there is still years of work to do. And some of those places are never going to be restored. Some of those buildings will never be built back. Some areas looked a whole lot like they did the day after the storm. And as if all of that wasn't bad enough, there was a fire on the boardwalk in New Jersey that was finished, and it burned down one of the few buildings that survived the storm. What does that do to people's hearts? How crushed must they have been? I I can't imagine what it was like to go through that hurricane or to deal with the devastation that was left. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to think what has to be done and how much money has to be spent and how much time and effort. But if all of that is true, how much greater is the task That faces us as followers of Jesus. If the cleanup effort there is a massive effort. The work that we've been given to do. Is a far greater beyond the proportions. Jesus charged the apostles. To wash one another's feet. We learned about that last week. But here Jesus is is teaching us to look out beyond our circle. To the people we live around. Jesus sent the disciples out to teach and to preach and to serve the harassed, the helpless, the sheep without a shepherd. He is about to send 12 out on a training mission. We usually call it the limited commission, chapter 10, verse 1 to 42. Limited because they were only to go to the Israelites and they were only to be gone a short time. But as his earthly ministry closed and he prepared to go back to the Father, Jesus would give these same disciples an unlimited commission to go not just to Israel, but to the world. A small band of men to go to the world. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Philip, Bartholomew, and Thomas. Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. A 12th Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot. And his one untimely born Paul. Thirteen men. How could they hope to accomplish that mission? Even if they lived in a world that didn't know anything about North America and South America and Australia even if their world was pretty much limited to the Mediterranean area, how could they hope to go with the gospel to all of those places? How could they hope to carry Jesus' ministry and mission? Well, would you be surprised if I told you that Jesus had a plan? Jesus had a way for them to do that. He tells them exactly how they're to accomplish that mission. Don't miss it. Don't read over these two verses and fail to see what Jesus' plan is. Jesus' plan is to pray God. I mean, there's no plans for a, a graduate school of ministry. There's no plans for big campaigns. There's no campaign for gospel meetings. No plans for gospel meetings. Jesus says, pray. Pray to the Lord of harvest. The harvest is plentiful. There are many, many who are ready to turn their hearts to God and receive salvation. The fields are ready. The harvest is ready. But the workers are few. There's not enough. And so Jesus says, pray that the Lord of harvest will send forth more workers in to the harvest field. That's Jesus' strategy. And that needs to be our strategy. That needs to be our plan. Pray that God will provide more teachers. Pray that God will provide more preachers. Pray that God will provide more, more people with gifts of mercy and compassion. Pray that God will provide more people with generous and open hearts. Pray that God will provide more people to love and to care. Pray that God will provide more people who are willing to do whatever they can for Jesus' cause. To be wherever they need to be if somebody needs to be helped. Pray that God will send us more families with children. Pray that God will provide more people who love Him before they love anything else. And are devoted to him. Jesus charges to ask God to provide more workers because the harvest is so great. Now I want you to think about that and maybe look at that in a way you've never looked at it before. Do you realize what that means? Have you applied it to yourself and you're thinking, oh, here comes the arm twisting. He's going to tell me to go out and do something. No, I'm not going to twist any arms this morning. You want to twist your own arm. That's your business. But do you realize that when you spend time with someone, when you check on somebody that's sick, or you go across the street to help a neighbor, or you hand somebody a tract or whatever it is, do you realize that you are an answer to prayer? And what you do is an answer to prayer. You are one of the workers that someone has prayed for to come. Because the work is so great. And God has sent you. When you take food to somebody who is sick, you're one of the workers that God sent in answer to the prayer to send more. When the good Samaritan shines out of you and, and you help the man who is beaten and robbed and left for dead, when you show mercy to someone in need, God placed you there. in the answer to prayer. And you were the answer. You were the answer. And through you, Jesus goes right on working. Through you, Jesus keeps right on being compassionate and helping the helpless and the harassed and the sheep without a shepherd. Now, some of us in our daily jobs have great responsibility. I'm amazed sometimes when I find out about the responsibilities that my brothers and sisters have in their daily work. But we should understand that the work we do individually and and as a congregation for Jesus is a far greater responsibility. It's a far more important responsibility because we're doing the work of gathering in God's harvest, of giving living expression to the compassion of Jesus and saving the lost. So whatever it is that you do, in our congregation, in our life together, however you serve, wherever your help is needed and you go, wherever you have mercy, please be excited about that. Don't forget that what you do matters. It matters for eternity. Someday you're going to stand in heaven and you're going to see the fruit of the work that you did here on earth. That's how important this is. That's why it matters. What a privilege it is to give back to God in that way. So don't give up. And don't get discouraged. But press on, press on, press on. You recall in our reading what Jesus said about who is the greatest in the kingdom? Who did he say was the greatest in the kingdom? He said it's the one who's a servant. It's the one who serves others. And you are the greatest. You have such great hearts to serve. You are the greatest. You are the answer to our prayers for more workers. And if somehow you're sitting here this morning and you don't know what you can do, please talk to the elders or the deacons or the ministry team leaders or come and see me. We'll find something. But you'll find it on your own, I'm sure. And everybody is welcome. So don't sit on the sidelines. Don't sit in judgment. Don't withhold what you can give or refuse to do what you can do. Remember the words of the song we sang just before the sermon. To the work, to the work, we are servants of God. Let us follow the path that our master has trod. With the balm of his counsel, our strength to renew. Let us do with our might what our hands find to do. 2013 is almost over. We're down to the last days. And we begin to think about next year and what we can do next year. And as we do that, let's faithfully pray that the Lord will send more and more workers. And let's ask God to help us to be more and more like Jesus. To follow in his footsteps of service and preaching the gospel and having compassion and praying for more workers. We're going to finish now with a song of encouragement. Maybe somebody here this morning in need of prayer, needing to do God's will, needing to come back to God. And if that's you this morning, please come. Let us serve you in that way while we stand and sing.